0: of our society is to eliminate weapons. Um, But Jesus takes a different approach. He's always getting to the heart of the matter. He's always dealing with the heart when he wants to get rid of things. And so if you want to get rid of adultery, he's going to try to nail the heart. He's not going to say get rid of any opportunity to commit adultery. Uh, You know, there's times, you know, women on this side of the church, men on that side of the church, you know, just complete separation of the two. But Jesus takes a different approach, and, and I think it's here in Matthew 5. So let's, uh, Peter, if you would, just read that for me. Um, I know we don't have a microphone for you yet. Well, wait a minute. Here comes Barry flying down the aisle. I put you all the way here to the front, too, Barry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 27 to 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members
1: than that your whole body go into hell.
0: Okay, so what is Jesus' approach then to prevent adultery? What are the the practical wisdom uh, lessons that he gives us in these verses? And really anybody can answer. Uh, Just raise your hand and we'll get the mic to you as quickly as we can. So what is his approach? Okay, so uh, uh, he is self-control, guarding your eyes and your heart. Okay, more specific, more specifics. Okay, that's that's good, but give me like like narrow it down. Like how do you I mean that's general. I have a good attitude of the mind, but what, what does he say? Like how does he um just just give me from the text what he says. Okay, so if your eye causes you to sin. Tear it out. Okay, that's the basic, okay? All right, what is Jesus actually asking us to do? He's not asking you to actually gouge out your eyes. This has been tried in in ages past. Even those who have had their eyes gouged out can still have lustful imaginations. So that's not what he's getting at. He's asking you to look at the root cause of your sin. Yes, get at the root cause, all right? Kate? Kate? You had your hand up.
2: Well, last sentence uh, is kind of a get your priorities straight. I think. Remember what you have to lose and what what your goal is. Your goal is not not to lose your soul.
0: Okay, so I would I would say that like this battle really matters. So you can't you can't just tell yourself the battle doesn't matter. Because he's, he's telling you, you could actually, because you do not fight this battle, if you don't take this battle seriously, you could actually end up in hell. Okay, now that's a sobering, that's a scary thought. So, you know, and so he's, Jesus is not afraid to scare you. Uh, to say that this really matters. Right? And he's saying, and he's getting you to think of eternity Rather than just in the moment, okay. So that's a that's a now. But what does he mean? If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. How do you how do you tear out your eye? Repent, okay. You repent. Yes. Uh, so you actually you refocus on. The good, get your mind focused on something else besides that. Um, if there's a particular aspect uh, avenue, maybe it's uh, internet. Well, you're going to learn ways to limit the internet, right? You're going to find ways to put controls on that. Uh, run, and <laughs> this will bring up a good a good point in our day. So, um, there's. Uh, in in um, Joseph's day, he could run, but what if when he ran to another place, as soon as he got there, there was the same temptation, which is, I think, what happens a lot in our day and age with the internet, because it's constantly, you could be looking up a, uh, an article on General Assembly this past week, and there can be pop-ups that will actually be tempting to your soul right then. So this is what our society's done to make it very difficult to run. But you're absolutely right. You need to try to limit your exposure to that, which is what Joseph does. All right, someone. I,
3: had it. Um, I was just going to say, even without the internet, like your mind, like you said, your imagination, your mind. Whether it's adultery or whatever it is, like I have a very vivid imagination. Yes. So, like, if I, like I feel like I could say I'd struggle with like envy sometimes, like yes. that other people have. And for me, if I'm, like, getting in that cycle, it's, like, that whole idea of, like, sin begets sin. If I start just, like, letting myself get consumed with whatever it is, it, it's in my head. I could I could go to sleep thinking about mm-hmm. whatever it is. If I don't spend time in prayer, like, that's, the, for me, the only thing that will, like, daily prayer about it is the only thing that seems to kind of start changing um, mm-hmm. The direction of my mind because it's in my head. It's yes. not like I'm looking on the internet. I'm not talking about that, mm-hmm. but like the internet, whatever it is, it's like Instagram scrolling. Oh, this lady has this. Mm-hmm. Like if I just had that, my life would be better. So it's just like it's all up in here. Mm-hmm. So I feel like prayer is the only thing that seems to like readjust that.
0: Right. So okay. So um, what I what I just say is that this mentality, cutting off your hand or tearing out your eye, are what I would call taking extreme measures. Don't treat the problem like it's just a small issue. Treat it like it's a big issue. That's, that's, I think, the real issue. And I think, Frank, you summarized it. You said have the right mindset. That was correct. But I just want to get into the, if you don't look at this problem of lust like it's a real problem, and I think Jesus did the same thing with murder, Right? What was the heart issue in murder? Passions, right? If you don't learn to check the passions of your heart, they're going to lead you to murder. So you have to, you have to fight it at the heart level. And the same thing occurs with adultery. You have to fight it at the level of lust, and you have to take it very, very seriously. Now, as Fred, uh, Kevin DeYoung says, there's not a person in this room that is completely free of this difficulty. We've all failed at some point or another in our lives on this issue. So that's. I don't think Jesus is saying, if you can't get rid of absolutely any lustful thought, you're going to hell. That's not his point. But his point is, you better take it seriously, and you better not quit fighting against it. So if you've failed, if you've fallen short... I'll get you, Ken. If you failed and you've fallen short, then you repent, as Lee says. You, you, you admit that wrong. You cast yourself on the blood of Christ, and you continue to endeavor to fight the battle. You just don't quit. You have to keep going. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. Uh,
1: what I wanted to add has to do with the dimension of repentance, and that is at pivotal points in my life when I've realized things kind of in bold print and it's made a major difference for me, I got on my knees and made a covenant with God mm-hmm. that this is what I swear I will do to him, mm-hmm. for him, not mm-hmm. to him, but for him. So um, when I face certain temptations, I will think back to the covenant that I have made. hmm and that often will be will will stop me in my tracks, so I don't take the next
4: step-hmm
1: so I just want to point out that's important for me personally. I don't know if there's broader applicability but no
0: i I think that's uh job I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon anything that's evil or something like that. I think job is i think that's that's true, making those covenants. I will say that that just like. It's very similar to anger. You can say, I am not going to get angry. And then what do you find yourself doing? <laughs> and I think the same thing can happen with lust. Oh, I am not going to do that. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. So there's, I think there's a, we have to put into the equation, yes, a covenant with your, your eyes, with your heart. Uh, and I think there's also this, this idea that this is a continual turning and repenting. It's not just a one-time thing. And I do think that both with anger, both with uh, lust, and even coveting, larger, uh, that Shannon's talking about, kind of envy and covetousness, it really comes down to a sense of being content with what God has given you. And that really is the issue that we're all struggling with, to actually be happy with, you know, I thought to myself recently, you know, if you want to make people envious of you, be happy. Because most people are not happy. And they just, will. well, how can you be happy? You know, and so, but it, being happy is harder than you think, right? I mean, it, that's, this is the point I'm trying to get at. Just because you know the truth doesn't mean that it actually penetrates to the heart and you're actually living it out consistently every day. And, it, and so as Christians, we want to both hold this high standard, but then also at the same time, know that we're going to walk in the mud sometimes as we're trying to get out of this, and it's just, it's just the way it is. So, um, yeah, so if, if you make this, um, if in any of these ways, if you make this covenant commitment, as you're saying, Ken, and I think it's great, but then you fail... You do that enough times, you just begin thinking like either I'm going to quit making covenants or I'm going to, um, or God has failed me because I've cast myself upon God to fix this problem and he hasn't fixed it yet. And I just just, just want to encourage you that it is a lifelong, all these are lifelong battles that you're facing. Um, it's not just a one and done deal. It would be nice if it was, but it's not. Okay. Okay. Um, Just remembering from this passage that it's always an issue of the heart. It's always an issue of idolatry. It's always an issue of not being content with what God has given you. The problem is more in here than it is out there. Even though uh, our society does a really good job of of throwing temptations at us at every moment, which makes it more difficult. Go ahead, Kate. Um,
2: Just, I wanted to share something that... That um, really helps me when i 'm in any kind of struggle when i I feel sometimes that um, god isn 't hearing my prayers or i'm i 'm really frustrated with the failing in the same area all the time, and I just don 't even feel like praying I know that I must pray that 's the only way to get out but i I also remember that he said to enter his Gates with Thanksgiving, and if you can just find one thing mm-hmm. and start there, no matter how humble it is, I'm so glad I have a nice bathtub where I can take a hot bath and calm down. <laughs> uh, so Some, find something
0: positive and good. Yeah, yeah. And
2: just start. No matter where I am, it, it really helps me a lot to get to wherever I I believe I need to be. Thank you.
0: Yep. So there's <laughs> I often we'll talk about truth as a ridge line. So um, Satan has kind of a two-pronged approach. One is to get you to just love the pleasure so much that you just go after it and seek it. Um, but then if you've got somebody who's here and he's like, no, I don't want that, so I'm going to go this way, his, his next approach is to get people to hate the pleasure and to not see it as something that's God's good gift. And that has occurred throughout history in the church, Right? Just be celibate. Just turn away from the sexual pleasure, those kind of things. I already got a hand up, and I haven't even started. Okay, Frank. I haven't, I haven't got my comment yet, Frank. and you. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry.
5: Um, two things. I heard it attributed to Martin Luther that he talked about sin, and he said, you know, the birds can flit through, through the air, but don't let them build a nest in, in, in mm-hmm. your, on your head. Um, and then the other one was the psalmist in Psalm 1, Verse 1, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. Somebody pointed out the progression of things. First he's walking, then he's standing, finally he's sitting, and mm-hmm. we have to be careful that mm-hmm. we're not progressing towards sin, we're, yep. that we're and we I continue think that, walking by okay,
0: it. Okay, I'm going to... Have- stop on you guys are making great comments but I will never get through my notes if you guys just keep doing this so so let me let me keep going and we'll get to questions as we go along okay excellent comment Frank um, one man that was helpful to me is a guy named Dr. Ed Wheat he wrote a book called intended for pleasure and he's talking about uh, sexuality in the marriage as something that is good Um, just a couple quotes, to kind of people that he had counseled. He was, he, he was a counselor for years and a doctor. Um, how can I help my husband see sex as something good that my body is touchable, meant to be seen and enjoyed by him. I know that he was brought up to believe that sex was dirty and wrong, something to be ashamed of and done in secret. Uh, he's kind and thoughtful, but I wish he loved me sexually. Um, uh, one guy makes it a little more funny. To hear many religious people talk, one would think that God created the torso, the head, the legs, the arms, but the devil slapped on the private parts. Uh, so just the idea is that there's, there is uh, a balance here, and it's, it's more than just, uh, okay, I'm going to not do that, so therefore I'm gonna, my whole focus is going to be just to avoid the the sin... I think Satan wins in that because he does want us to think about God's gift in a bad way. So Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage be, bed be undefiled. Um, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I love the balance there. So you're supposed to be honoring the the, the marriage, right? and And trying to get your mind thinking correctly about sexuality. And the way, when I think of thinking correctly about sexuality, it's always the whole person. So it's it's their soul and their body. They're, they're two, two parts to the person. Um, and you're supposed to think you're not just loving the body, you're loving the soul, but it is a soul that's encased in a body. So you're loving that person. It's a part of who they are, and that's a good thing. So Um, Proverbs 5, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always by her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son? With a forbidden woman, embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his pasts. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He, lie, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So, again, um, uh, God has provided the marriage bed. He he's, uh, wants that to be the place where selfishness um, is um, overcome, even in the sexual relationship. So anyway, that's, that's the good side of it. If you want a more extensive teaching on this, maybe we'll go back to going through the Song of Solomon again, which we did a couple years ago. Um, I would describe lust as intensely desiring what does not rightfully belong to you. Think about that. Lust is intensely desiring that which was, does not rightfully belong to you. Um, it is also, another way to describe it, is seeking sexual satisfaction apart from true Christ-like love. Seeking sexual satisfaction apart from true Christ-like love. Um, which is why I think Second Timothy, Paul says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um. Turn to First Thessalonians Four. First Thessalonians Four. Erica, would you read that for me? One through seven.
3: Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality
0: Sometimes we struggle to know what is the will of God in our prayers. You know, should I take this job or that job? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I marry this person or that person? But you always know that it is the will of God for you to control your fleshly desires. Uh, that's, that's, I would call that whether it's in marriage or out of marriage. They are not to just rampantly control you. You are to try to uh, control them in holiness and honor because God is the Lord of those um, and that that's the reason why God called us. He called us to purity. So again, I like this, this picture in the scripture. Um, so if the commandment is, you know, don't, don't commit adultery, but the, the, really the opposite of that commandment is to pursue pure love. That's what he wants you to pursue. And so you're constantly making this your goal. So you don't say, oh, I'm right here, so I'm good, because I'm, I'm no longer here. <laughs> you should be happy about that. But you're constantly pursuing. the. It's like you never get done with this. You're constantly, I, I imagine, even to the, the day that you die, trying to understand what it means to love another person unselfishly and to, and to really um, think about them correctly. Uh Uh, Let's see. Let's do one more. Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Then I'll open it up for some questions or comments for you guys. Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Barry, would you read that for me?
5: If then you have been raised with Christ, seek... The things that are above, which Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Through what? Through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, so
0: I love this passage. When I was in college, um, actually in Yellowstone on a mission trip, my Bible study leader told me to study this passage all summer long, and uh, it was very helpful. So there's some really wonderful things here. In the last verse that we looked at in Thessalonians, they said we are called to holiness, to the pursuit of love. In this passage, he says that you have been raised... With Christ. What is that referring to? How have you been raised with Christ? This is a question that you can answer. So uh, he says, if you have been raised with Christ, or the text is actually can mean since you have been raised with Christ. What is that talking about? How have you been raised with Christ? We are united with Christ in his resurrection. So technically... You know, Robin has never really physically been raised up into the heavenlies, but she, because Christ rose from the dead and went up into the heavenlies, she is with him, she's united to him, so that's where she, the true Robin exists. The one born again. This is who she is, okay? that's And so, just like you've been called to this, this is like what Christ has... Uh, in his death and resurrection, it has done for you. It's, it's, a, it's a past tense idea. You are seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean for you? Why being at the right hand of God? Why does that matter? Right, you have access to like authority, to power. You're, you're not alone in this battle, right? You're with him in the battle. And then he says... Um, uh, what do you have to do then, verse 2? What's the what's the command, that's the exercise that you have to do? Set your mind on things are above. So I think if rightly, you know, Shannon, you talked about prayer. I think that's what's happening in your prayer. You're setting your mind on what's true, and you're praying that out, and you're asking God for, for help in this. It could be reading the Bible, and you're understanding the truth, because you, you tend to just absorb the lies of the world all the time. And so he, he, you have to set your mind on these things. Uh, but notice, you are setting your mind, and this is the biggest difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, and any struggle against sin. Your true self is already there. A lot of times when you're struggling with any sin, not just the sin of sexuality, although I think it... it Paul says that it's the sin that's inside the body, so you feel like it's a part of you more than almost any other. Um, but it, but you, you have to believe, who am I? Am I the guy who is down here who's failed in my, in my uh, battle against lust? Am I, is that who I am, the one who's, this is me down here? Or is this the true me? And I think Paul is saying the true you is here. You're in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. So therefore, because this is my true self, I am going to put to death. Who are you going to put to death? Your old self, right? The old self. So you're, you can actually fight against the old self because of what Christ has done. You're not, just, you're not trying to be someone that you're not you're recognizing this is who God died to make me, therefore I'm fighting a battle uh, that, is, that is really, it must be a winning battle because I'm united with Christ and therefore I have the authority and the power to actually keep fighting this battle, okay? So then he says, um, notice he says, for you have died, right? What part of you has died? This is, this is so counter-intellectual, The part of you that's just, you you can't seem to overcome. (laughs) The part of you that seems to be winning the victory. Paul says, well, you've died to that. And he's not just talking about the sin of adultery. Remember, he's got the whole list of almost all the Ten Commandments. Whatever sin it is that you're dealing with, you have died to that. He's not saying experientially you've died to that because he just told you you have to put it to death. But he's saying that you are dead to that because you've been united to Christ. Okay? Okay. Your life, your true life, who you really are, is hidden with Christ in God. And then what's the hope he gives in verse 4? Christ who is your life, when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. So what is that telling you? Here you are, you're struggling. You're struggling to be overcoming of sin. And what does he tell you in verse 4? I love this. You will win. And you won't just partially win, you will completely win. Is your struggle against contentment? Is it about depression? Is it about anger? Is it about what? Lust? It doesn't matter. You are going to win this battle 100%. So fight. (laughs) Right? You put your fight because you know what Christ has done. So he says, again, after you will appear with him in glory, put to death whatever is unearthly. He goes through the whole list. On account of these, the wrath of coming. The wrath of God is coming. In other words, he then says explicitly what Jesus says, the battle matters. There's not this sense in Paul, oh, I'm raised with Christ. I can live any way I want. You don't just, oh yeah, I'm justified in Christ, therefore it doesn't matter how I live. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that it really matters. You have to fight the battle. You have to keep fighting, and no matter how many times you fall down, you you pick yourself up, or actually Christ is picking you up, but you, you get off your feet and you fight to put to death that which is earthly in you. In these you once walked well you you feel like it because you're struggling with these issues you feel like you're still walking in them, but that's not the way he thinks he's saying you now are on a whole different plane it's almost like um you ha- you were on a train going this way and now you're on a train going that way so you're you're now walking with Christ and you may at times if this is the this is the good train here, the one on the the top uh you were walking this way, now you're walking this way you may at times feel like you're on the train and you're walking against the, the train. But the reality is, you are. if you're going to walk with Christ, He is he is the one grabbing hold of you, he's walking with you, and he's taking you towards glory. That's the reason why he's called you. And this is what happens. If you are fighting against Christ and trying to walk the other way, it's like everything in your body is going, I'm like a, a little kid fighting against Christ as he's pulling me one way and I'm going the other, and he's going to win this battle. I have to come back and walk with him. Uh, and then I like the verse ten and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a process. It's not just all at once. You are being renewed in the image of of Christ, and that's. You have to keep remembering that. He has grabbed hold of you in order to make you a different person. And even though the world wants to lie to you and tell you that you can never be a different person, the Bible always says that if you're with Christ, you can gain victory. It may not be perfect in this life, it may not be all that you want in this life, but you keep fighting because Christ has taken hold of you. So let's look at this um, in Philippians real quick because this is like a life. Uh, encapsulation of this one page back, Paul is talking about knowing Christ. If you look at Philippians three twelve, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had ma- has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is such a beautiful passage and summary of what we're talking about. So, in your struggles, it is not, do not fight the battle alone. Fight it with Christ, fight it with the truth of the word. Fight it with other Christians um, who will stand with you in these battles. Um, Young men, uh, there's a few of you here, young women, uh, fight it with older people who have been in the battle longer than you. Uh, It's just helpful to not be alone in the struggles that we have. All right, questions or comments? It's one of my favorites. Go ahead. (laughs) He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Right? And that's well, our hope. And,
6: and and Paul says, "I am and I am sure of this. Yes, right. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace.
0: Hmm. Yes, yes, Christian, go ahead.
5: What's the equivalent for women? Uh, like we lost, men lost. but What's the
4: equivalent for them?
0: Well, I think women just. This is this is a. a this goes way back to my college days, but there's two sides of a brain, right? left, right, left. And, and the one, I don't even know which is the which, but like the one side are like the, um, you know, more uh, focused on tasks and doing the other side's more emotional and emotive kind of side. Anyway, they said that men, um, women have a, um, like a, AT&T fiber optic network going between the right and left sides of their brain, okay? And the way I heard it described is like there's, a, there's two tin cans with a string between the right and left side of a man's brain. So, so <laughs> <laughs> what's that? <laughs> but, okay, but this is the, I'm getting to a point on this. I think that when it comes to lust, men do have a, a greater, propensity to just be focused on one aspect, just the visual or, you know, just the pleasure itself. It's easier to think of one part of the person. Where I think women tend to think of the whole person. Even in, when they lust, and I think women struggle with lust too, it's usually a relational lust. They want the whole picture. They want, it's just everything, um, and that's more of what they want. And they can be very discontent in that. So the same envy that you have, you wanting your you're, um, you might lust in, in the whole environment of a, a um, almost like a fantasy relationship of your husband being more than he is, you know, those kind of things can happen. So I think they still struggle with discontentment, it just may not look exactly like it does for a guy who can be just focused on the visual or focused on, you know, the actual pleasure just by, by itself not thinking of the whole person. They still struggle with being discontent and envying. So uh, that's, that's, that's my answer from a guy's perspective. The women could probably answer more to that. But they do deal with the same discontentment and dissatisfaction with life. So does that help you at all? Um, what's that? Yeah. The, and women, you have to remember that we do have two sides of our brain. We just, it's hard to engage both of them at the same time. It's tried to, hard to bring them together. But we do have, we are whole people as well. And I don't know if this is, a, you know, biblically or not, but that just was so helpful to me as a young man to realize how, how helpful it was that my wife was, was probably thinking about relationships more holistically than I did and to learn from her in that, uh, in general, in life. So, um, I don't know. So just as it was a helpful in, illustration to me over time. Good question. Other questions or comments? Yes, Jessica. In terms
4: of what Christian brought up, I think um, we live in an interesting cultural time in terms of um, what feminism has done in terms of the way women think or mm-hmm. are, are even told to think it's kind of this homogenizing of gender in in which um And I think I see it especially in the current culture among teenagers that that young women are being encouraged to lust in the same way that would be stereotypical of men. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really damaging in ways that we're seeing in in young women um, It's scary. And I think when we try to minister to younger people, we cannot just assume that there is this very strict dichotomy um, between Men and women, because I think more and more we're seeing that with just the availability of pornography and all of that. So
0: you can have um, you can have uh, the awake the, the seed of every sin lies in the heart of every person. So in the past, maybe due to um, you know norms or teaching or different things, maybe these sins of lust were more prevalent with men what you're saying, I think is correct, they're gonna, we're going to see more of it occur in women because of the blurring of the roles, because of uh, thinking of sexuality uh, outside of uh, marriage and children and all these kind of things. We're just going to see a lot of changes that are going to take place. So, yes, I agree. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. Very helpful. And, and, and just to be fair, too, if you're a Christian young woman... So I'll just say this, it, sexual sins are things that come as a product of your culture, it's your sinful heart, but sometimes you don't even aren't aware of it. So if you're a young woman and you find yourself lusting for visually pornography or different things, you could be, you could, if you're a Christian person, you could even feel greater shame because it's not the accepted. And so you retreat within yourself. You think that you can't talk with anyone about this. I shouldn't be having these feelings, all that kind of stuff. When I think as a, as a general rule, um, anything coming with sexuality, it, we swim in this culture that's over-sexualized and it's, it's distorted. And so parents, if you see this coming out of your children, don't panic. Begin to try to help them work through these things uh, and to remind them who they are in Christ, you know, and to help them, you, you may feel like you're here, you may feel like you're going down, remember who you are in Christ, and, and God has called you to, to re- rethink your mind and to try to move in the right direction. So, um, very important. Go ahead.
5: I was just um, piggybacking on what Jessica was saying. Um, even though I think our culture is sort of blurring the genders, I still think, innately because the way god made us that women are very relational that i think they tend to be hurt more emotionally by promiscuous sex Mm -hmm. um because they do deep down desire the whole picture and this culture of just sleeping around i think is extremely danger um damaging to, to their psyche and everything. And,
0: and I, I would agree with that. And I, do, I think there's a, there's a time to fight against the culture. But, and I really respect those in the past in our country who fought against these th- things that were emerging in our culture. But um, I think our kids are growing up in a, in a post-Christian society. So it's almost like we're back in the days of Rome where everything is non-Christian around you so as a Christian, you do have to focus more on how do you um, how do you try to be pure in this ungodly world that's everywhere around you. And that's it just it's I keep saying I think it's more difficult in America to, to grow up and be a Christian than just <laughs> any other culture. I can't even imagine. I mean the the Sin is at your fingertips. It's encouraged. It's told for you to do it every moment. And it's always discouraged that spirituality is bad and not good and it doesn't answer your problems. And kids hear these messages all the time. Um, it's a challenge for young people. to. So just know, not to make you fearful, young parents, but but it you have to constantly be trying to help your children see the world through the lens of the way God views it. That's why I had to the the line of sexuality it's not just avoid sex it's try to have a correct view of sexuality and think of that in the way that god wants so um somebody have a microphone okay uh good um galatians 6 galatians 6 this is a favorite one of mine as well um again this would be for not just sexual sin but um but it is uh really all sin Galatians 6 7 through 9 this is the passage I mean Galatians is all about God's grace and justification but I like the way Paul uh, in his closing chapter says this do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. My, my, this is the way I take this verse. Um, change is slow. If it were quick, more people would do it. If you could just take a pill and you would feel better and be good who you're supposed to be. But, but to reverse your desires... To not let your anger, to not let your lust, to not let these things rule you, it will take a lifetime. And it's like going out, tilling the ground, planting the seeds. And and what does he say? Do not give up. You will reap. You will win. Do not give up. You will grow tired. You will think the fight is not going the way you want. You will um, think the world is more strong than God all these lies will hit you and i think more than ever in america because the 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 moral fight the moral fight is connected to the faith fight so in our day and age you from a young our culture more than any other thing tells you that faith is irrelevant. It is not helpful to you. It is not going to help change you. It is something that you do, if you want to do it, great, but it's pretty much irrelevant to your life. And when coming to worship God on a Sunday morning, how is that actually helpful to you? And they will tell you basically that God doesn't exist. He is not the all-powerful God that is there to help you. And and so, so if that's the struggle... Satan is trying to destroy faith in you. So what he does is you're in the moral fight and you think you're losing the moral fight. So your immediate response is to say, I have lost and God is not real. God is not good. I've, you know, felt it myself. I've counseled other people. I have prayed. I have read my Bible. I have done these things and God is not changing me. And so they end up, it's a crisis of faith. And a lot of kids will leave the faith. Faith. Because they're having a moral struggle. And I think the reality is we have to help them understand that even though you don't seem to be making progress in the present, that is okay. God expects that. He expects you to have these seasons where he just doesn't look like there's any progress being made, but you keep fighting. And she wants the microphone over here, Barry. So because he says if you don't give up, you will win. You will conquer this. You will overcome. It may take your whole life. It may take to fully conquer it the day you see Christ face to face, and that's when you're fully changed. But you, you know that the fight is worth it. So I believe that because our overarching society is telling us that faith doesn't exist, people get in these moral fights and they have wrong expectations of quick and easy victory, and then, be, then they hear the lesson, oh, God's not real anyway, and they just chuck Christianity. And I think that's one of the reasons why it happens so often. Shame. I was
3: just going to add to that. I was trying to think how I was thinking it, but also shame, I think, is really, especially in Christian, like young Christian, you go off to college or, what, what, you know, I like, I know that was something I really struggled with. Like, you start dipping your toes in things, and then all of a sudden you, maybe, I grew up in a Christian group where I feel like it wasn't really discussed. It was definitely the woman's fault They always had the, like, oh, if you sisters caused your brother to stumble, you know, and it was The guys had no blame, and I'm not saying that's every Christian group, but, like, that's definitely what I grew up around, and women's fault, and so, like, if you did stumble, and whatever level that was, you were filled with so much shame, and I know so many women who have left their faith because they could not get past the shame, and I lived with it for a long time, and I had that, like, in the back of my head, like, God, I know you're there, but, like, I just can't. I can't see my way through this. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that is a huge part of it. And like not feeling like they can come, whether they can or not, I do think the church could do a better job of making sure like young people feel like they can come and talk about
6: mm-hmm. like
3: what's going on in their life, no matter how terrible it is, because shame will eat you up. And some people I think live with it their whole life and never get over it.
0: It's Really well said, really. Jessica.
4: Um, something that just keeps coming to my mind is um, Philippians 3, um, the passage, the part right after what was read a few minutes ago, <laughs> um, where Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Um, I think that's so key in this, especially if we're talking about, I mean, not just ourselves, but raising children in this culture. Um one thing that i think the church and the, the world agree on is that we want role models in mm-hmm. some way um now the culture will will give you all kinds of role models that are ungodly um but within the church to have role models paul i mean you think about paul saying like imitate me paul had done some pretty ugly things and obviously now he's he's leading mm-hmm. the church and um it's interesting to think about what it means to, to tell people to imitate us because obviously we're still dealing with our fleshly struggles. And um, I think, you know, to what Shannon said a minute ago, having people within the church that are these godly examples of what it is to struggle and fight against sin, to fall and to get back up so that our, our children have something to imitate that is, that is real um, is a way that I think we can can help our children stay tethered to the church because they will see something that is real, an actual struggle with sin that... Is is leading to victory over sin? Um, that is leading to wisdom that can be shared. Um, I think that that's really, really lacking. And one of the reasons why people will struggle with sin and they will walk away from the church, they will think that it has to be a rejection of God overall. Because we're not saying, you know what? Imitate me. Imitate me, even in my fallenness. Imitate me, because Jesus this is the way, you know, being confident in that enough to say that to someone who's struggling in sin and shame.
0: I think that's excellent. And take it to Lee and I'll make a comment in between if Lee will just be patient for a moment. Um, we, um, it's probably been a couple of years ago now, uh, several of the adults, uh, and with some of their children, um, this was a guy series called conquer series. It was dealing with lust and pornography. And, and so some other Guy has put together this this video series that then has a lot of questions and different things, and so we uh did it with some of our teenage boys and you want to talk about awkward you know um here we are adults trying to express in a real way not not in a you know proud or arrogant or flippant way, but in a real way explain the battle that we've faced and and you know the the kids are like looking at us like you guys are weird, and you know. But what's happened over time, and, and you don't need to know who was in that, that study, but over time, those young men have been willing to come and talk with us as that struggle has become more prevalent in their own lives. And they and they haven't just felt intense shame. You can still have the guilt, and you should feel shameful when you do something wrong, but it's not this all-encompassing shame that no one else can ever know about my struggle. And so you have this discussion and you breach these hard topics and then it is embarrassing to even admit that you've had any failure in this area. I mean you don't want to admit that to especially to young boys you know you don't want to admit that to them and yet I think it's been the healthiest thing and I tell you guys that because we have that series um, and and if they're what I told the boys uh, is that I hope that this will be like an ongoing thing so that they will maybe want to do it with their friends. And they have done that. It's been really kind of cool to see that branch out. But if there's a a dad, uh, you have to have the right timing and stuff. But if these series could just continue on. It was about a six- or eight-week series that we did. um, And and the the videos are really good. And there's great discussion and prayer afterwards. And so it's just really helpful. So I just want to encourage that. I'm sure there's probably a similar thing with ladies as well. This was designed for men. But... um, it's, it's, it's important that we have those conversations because the only way you're going to break the shame is if you actually have another person who is a godly figure who's just talking through these real issues. You just have to have that. So go ahead, Lee.
6: In my life, um, the shame, you know, the wretchedness of sin and then the shame of it um, came down to forgiving myself. I knew that Christ forgave me and mm-hmm. covered that sin, but I had to let it go. I had to forgive myself. And, mm-hmm. I mean, who am I or who are we to think that if Christ can forgive us, why in the world can't we forgive ourselves? So, I mean, it just all comes back to him.
0: Christ has got to be bigger than your shame. And I'll say this, um, the the passage in 1 Timothy 2 that talks about women uh, having modesty and self-control. Um, there is no definition of what modesty is, uh, in scripture. Um, there are some definitions of, of like attitudes. And I think that, uh, for any of us, if you are trying to dress in a way that is provocative, that's, that's the issue. It's not just, oh, you didn't wear a dress or you didn't wear this or, you know, uh, the sin is always comes out of our heart. You can't blame your sin on somebody, some temptation that's out there. What you can do as an individual is to try to not um, uh, be striving for attention sexually uh, by the way that you dress. And I think that's that's the key. So enough said on that. We're going to close with Titus chapter two. <clears throat> Uh, Titus two is a um, uh, it's a it's a ministerial life verse for me. I actually have it on the back side of this pulpit and um, a plaque, Titus two, uh, written out because I have to keep remembering this. Titus two, verse eleven, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's not universalism. He's talking about all sorts of people, no matter how deep your sin is, no matter how uh, much you think that you've gone past saving, the grace of God can still save you. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our present blessed hope and the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. It is never wrath that changes people's hearts. That's going to be one of the lessons in, this, in the sermon this morning. God wiped out everyone. Do you think that fixed the heart of Noah and his sons? Nope. I don't care how harsh you are, harshness will never drive sin out of the human heart. Only grace will do that. That's why it's the grace of God appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness. Grace is not just go on living the way you want and God will save you. Grace is God saying, I am going to inject my power into your powerlessness and I am going to redeem you. That's the gospel. And that's what we want to be a part of. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this lesson. There's more that we could talk about. And I do pray, Father, that you would help us. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, We have all been influenced in our minds, uh, in what I call stinking thinking, uh, thinking the ways of the world. And, Lord, help us to renew ourselves and to think the way you want us to. You have raised us up with Christ. You've seated us with him in the heavenlies. And that is an honorable position You do not look at us in shame. You look at us in in the blood of Christ, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And the kids come in.